church. If you would go ahead and take the word of God and open back up to Ephesians chapter six. Maybe you were there just a minute ago whenever we read it for a call to worship. Certainly. Um, this decision that we made, I guess, a couple of months ago to um, to teach through this uh, goes hand in hand with what Josh taught this morning uh, out of John chapter 16. Which says that in this world, tribulation will come. Uh, So we know that there are going to be uh, times, seasons, periods uh, of of tribulation, of temptation, of division, of strife, of trouble, of trials in our life. And uh, those of you who are here who've been a Christian for any uh, amount of time know this. So that's pretty easy to, to know. That's a theme that goes throughout the New Testament, certainly. Uh, but it's, it's certainly something that we tend to take our eyes off of from time to time. Uh, all of us, if we think back far enough, I think all of us can probably remember, uh, those of us who were born again, that time in our lives whenever a preacher preached a sermon or maybe a sermon series and it just clicked. And there's something about that sermon series or there's something about that passage that the Holy Spirit used in your life to bring you to a, a to bring you to a climax to a point where you had to make some decisions and you really got it. And I hope you can think back and remember where that was. For me, it was Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Uh, to me, it was a study on the whole armor of God. And I remember it was whenever, uh, shortly after Jennifer and I got married. And I've told you about this before. There are times of, I have unusual places and times where I worship. Maybe they're not that unusual. But they might seem unusual but just to say them out loud. But one of my... Uh, Best times of worship is when I'm cutting the grass. It just is. There's something about there's no distractions, uh, especially if I'm on a ride more. And I remember whenever uh, I first heard Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17 taught uh, from the pulpit. And it so happened that we had a four and a half acre lot that we had to keep mowed uh, with a little 48 inch cut. And so that's a lot of mowing every, every week that I had to do. And I remember I would just play that passage of scripture over and over and over and over in my mind. And God used that to to shape me and to really help me to understand, number one, that that trials and tribulations will come. And number two, that indeed, as Jesus said to his disciples this morning, I have overcome the world. And there's there's encouragement in that. But because we live in a busy world and we have busy lives, we tend to forget that, right? And so we're going about our lives and we do our thing. And we have kids and we get busy with our jobs and life overwhelms us. And we tend to those things that we cling to in Scripture, we tend to sort of kind of let those pass a little bit until there's a crisis point, And then we come back to it again and we have to, to remember that again. And so I don't know that the Lord may use this in your life. I believe this is a very worthy passage of Scripture for us to, to remember what we're going to do. This is the introduction to it tonight. I'm going to be uh, going through verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. If, if you're looking at the pew in front of you, I think it's page uh, 1079 that that's on. I'm going to go through the first few verses. And then for the next few weeks, we're going to have uh, different uh, speakers and different teachers come up here and teach, talk us through the next six, uh, each of the six pieces of spiritual armor. And so beginning next week with gird, uh, uh, loins girt about with the belt of truth and then taking it on through uh, through the, the six individual pieces of armor. I'm reminded every time I, I've taught this now on, on a few occasions, just because it's, it's a, a unique passage scripture, scripture to me. I remember 
we have the opportunity at seminary every week to go to chapel, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday during the semesters. And I remember going, uh, I go every week because I'm required to go and I enjoy going. But right over here, if you're, at the, if you're looking out from the front of the chapel, usually the faculty and staff just sort of kind of fill the front portion of this uh, stage right side. And so when someone sits there that's not faculty and staff or a guest, it's a little, Micah can tell you, it's a little, you notice because it's somebody who's there doesn't normally sit there. And I noticed there was a Chinese student sitting there. And I noticed him there for several weeks. And I noticed him because before chapel, we all congregate and we talk. And I always say that chapel is a good place to get business done because it's a good time where we're all together and we can do that kind of stuff beforehand and afterwards. But this student was there, man. He was just praying and he was doing something that we don't see here or, or many other places. Man, he was just intent. And so uh, one time I was introduced to this student by one of our church history professors. Turns out that he is a student here studying uh, from China and he's a member of the underground church. And so every single time that that student shows up in a place to worship like that, it is completely different than anything he got when he was at the church in the underground China because he can worship freely. He could raise his hands. He can bow his head. He can pray. He can, he can talk about Christ. He can sing out loud. He can listen without fear of having the doors knocked in or being drug off and arrested to the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. And I remember thinking to myself, boy, do I take that for granted. And then I remember thinking about how he prepared himself for that worship and how intent he was. It stood out in a seminary. How intent that student was in preparing himself for worship. Why, why did he do that? I think the reason he did that was because he knew what persecution was. He knew what it was like to have to endure great trial in order to practice his faith. And because of that, he appreciated it in a way that perhaps you and I cannot. But I want to tell you, if you're listening to me, say amen. We better get serious because if you hadn't noticed, uh, it may not be too long before you and I have a similar situations that we have to stand up and endure and go through. Jane Vernon McGee, those of you who listen to uh, Christian radio, he comes on early every morning. Sometimes I listen to him. I, I've got a pretty good impersonation of him. If you know him, you would appreciate it. Um, but if you don't know him, you just think I sound weird, so I won't do it tonight. But uh, J. Vernon McGee is an old-timey pastor, and he, he taught primarily back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And I remember hearing a sermon from him many years ago from the, I think it was from the 60s. It was one of those old radio transmissions, crackling transmission. And uh, he was talking about how incredibly difficult it was and how much strife that the Christian had to endure in the 1960s. And how uh, it is becoming increasingly difficult for a Christian to be able to stand upon their faith and have their foundation in Christ publicly in the 1960s. Now, fast forward that 50 years and think about where we are now. Think about how God has long since been taken out of schools and how the government has decided that we can abort babies and then use those aborted fetuses as experiments. Think about how Hollywood wants to and largely determines the temperature of the spiritual reality and the temperature of culture, uh, what is right and wrong and what is good and evil in our culture. Think about now states who are lining up and courts who are uh, the ban on uh, same-sex marriages. Now courts are throwing those out and states are lining up to adopt same-sex marriages. Think about just two weeks ago, the mayor of Houston, Texas, 
they have a city ordinance in, in Houston where it's, a, it's an anti-discrimination ordinance. And uh, she happens to be a lesbian. And, uh, and so there were five pastors in the area who preached scripture and uh, concerning those kind of cultural issues. And she actually had the court subpoena those sermons to have those sermons uh, turned over to the courts. Otherwise, those pastors would be charged with contempt of court. Uh, we are living in a time where we are going to have to, as John chapter 16 and Josh talked about this morning, we're going to have to be prepared for a spiritual battle. We're going to have to know what it means to depend upon the whole armor of God that the Apostle Paul told the church at Ephesus in this passage that we're studying, what it means to wear that. Now, those are societal spiritual issues, right? Those are things that, that's going on around us in society. There are also personal spiritual battles that we wage. Amen? Abandonment of integrity and honesty. Jealousy and strife. Self-centeredness. A lack of respect and authority in the home. Infidelity in marriage. Drunkenness. Carousing. Any of those things that Galatians chapter 5 defines as the things of the flesh. We know, because you know in your own personal life, that we are engaged in this type of warfare on a daily basis Personally, so we're we're surrounded by it societally. We're also engaged in it personally. And for the believer, that could be a very discouraging thing. Until we think about what Josh preached about this morning. Until we look at Ephesians chapter six. Until we remember that the battle has indeed already been won. In this passage in Ephesians chapter six. Paul does a fantastic job of telling us what the cause of this warfare is. And then he gives us a battle plan. He tells us what the strategy is. He tells us where our strength comes from. And so let's look at that together. I'm going to read together just the four passages, the four, the four uh, verses that I'll be talking about tonight. And we'll begin in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. There are four points that I want us to get out of this passage today. But before we do that, I want to give you just a little bit of context. <clears throat> We're going to be studying this for the next six Sunday nights or for the next six Sunday nights that we do this. We'll have a couple of interruptions for holidays and those kind of things. But so let me establish a little bit of a context for the book of Ephesians for you. Paul wrote this letter that the church at Ephesus is one of the churches that he helped start on one of his missionary journeys to the Roman Empire through the Roman Empire during the first century uh, after Christ ascended, Paul knew that there was a great effort there to undermine his teaching. There were people there who were who were critical of him. There were people there who were telling uh, uh, the new believers there that Paul was not to be trusted. But Paul's message was simple. He was writing this while he was still a prisoner in Rome. He was literally writing this letter to the church at Ephesus from jail. He was literally writing this. This is key for you to know. Paul was writing this while he was in chains. Back then, if you were in a Roman jail, you were chained to a guard. Paul wrote this while he was chained to a guard. He's writing about spiritual armor, the whole armor of God, while he is chained to a Roman guard in a Roman 
prison. And his message was simple. I'm going to remind them of who they are. I'm going to remind them of what they are. And I'm going to remind them of how they became what they are. I love the book of Ephesians. It's perhaps my, my favorite book of the Bible. The first three chapters of the book are very doctrinal. Uh, it deals with very foundational elements of our Christian faith. The elect of God, grace alone, by faith alone, and God's work on, ha- on the behalf of the believers. Very foundational. Beginning in chapter 4, it turns a little bit. And he begins to talk about putting your faith into practice. And so, uh, what does it look like? Uh, now that you who are in Christ, how should you start living in a manner that is worthy of your calling? So how do you work out this foundational faith of yours? Ephesians chapter four, verses 17 through 18 says, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of. Of their heart. And then just a few verses later, he says, don't live like that anymore. He says, live like this. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse 23, he said, instead, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. In other words, Paul's saying no longer, no more. You're not identified like that anymore. You're no longer that person. Put off that person. Put on this person. Because you are the elect, because you have been saved by grace through faith, because you have been chosen of God and now changed by God, now live like this. And he gives practical ways that they're supposed to do that. They're no longer ignorant of the things of God, but they're brought into the things of God. They're identified with Christ. And so beginning with our passage tonight in Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, he begins with the word finally and if I were to stand up here tonight and I were to say, finally, you guys would think, oh, man, he's done. Woof! All right, I'm going home. Paul didn't mean that. That word finally, when we come to Ephesians chapter 6, is basically Paul saying, we're going to tie everything together now. Because this is what God has done for you. Because this is, this is who you are and why you are who you are. And because you're supposed to live like this right here, now let's tie it all together. And that word finally right there... Means, by the way, there's something else you need to know. It's a definitive connection to verses, verses 10 through 17 to everything else that he has talked about throughout this chapter. And specifically here in these verses, he's telling the Ephesians, this is what you need to know to defeat your spiritual foe. And I'm going to tell you right up front, the verse has already told you, uh, it's not just life that we're in warfare against. It is a very real very dangerous, very deceptive foe who we know as Satan. First thing I want you to remember today, first thing I want you to remember is strength for the battle ahead. Looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, strength for the battle ahead. Those of you who've been in the youth group when I was doing the youth, uh, in a former church that I was in when I was doing youth, I actually had a banner made. You probably have already heard me say this because I, I use it quite a bit. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, who's a Bible commentator, uh, had this phrase, he said, life is a battleground, not a playground. Life is a battleground, not a playground. And so I had banner made up and I put it in the youth room so that I could point to that often and tell the kids. But how often are we, and I'm looking at the adults here as well as the youth, how often are we duped into thinking that life's a playground? Everything about our world tells us that life's a playground. Hollywood tells you that life's a playground. Your co-worker tells you that life's a playground. 
The courts will tell you that life's a playground. Do what you want. It doesn't matter. You're not accountable for that. So don't worry about it. Paul says, no, you got it backwards. Life is a battleground. It is not a playground. We treat it like it's a playground, but it's not. Preparation is key for any battle. Amen. If we told you today that somebody's going to invade Fairdale, what would we do? We'd meet somewhere and we'd figure out what we're going to do about it, right? We wouldn't let anybody just march in here and, and do whatever they wanted to do. I think of, um, I'm going to point to some movies. I, I, I bash Hollywood, but I'm going to point to a couple of movies here. Uh, last week I watched the movie Pearl Harbor. And in that movie Pearl Harbor, it's from 2001, but in that movie Pearl Harbor, it shows how the Japanese strategically and carefully planned every aspect of how they were going to bomb Pearl Harbor. Uh, down to the exact time that they were going to do it. And they knew exactly where all of the uh, ships were going to be docked. They knew exactly where everything was going to be. They knew that that was the best time, the most strategic time to do it. And that's when they bombed Pearl Harbor. That, uh, there was a movie a few years ago called Dark Zero, Zero Dark Thirty or Dark Zero Thirty. Zero Dark Thirty. And uh, it talked about the capture, of, uh, not the capture of Osama bin Laden, but the way that they tracked Osama bin Laden and how they actually went in and they took him out. And they were meticulous in everything that they did. Why were they doing that? They realized they was going into battle. They realized that this was a dangerous situation they was in. And if they, you know that you're going into warfare and you know that warfare is dangerous, you're going to realize the importance of preparation. Verse 10 doesn't say rely on yourself. Verse 10 doesn't say dig deep. Verse 10 doesn't say try your best. Verse 10 says be strong in the Lord because as Christians, He is our strength. Amen. This is fundamental. This is something I say and we say, well, of course He is. But then when trial comes and we've got to be prepared for the battle, we seem to forget that. And we try to dig deep and we try to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. But that's contrary to Scripture. That word in there, that word where it says, uh, strength or be strong in verse 10 is a Greek word which translated means manifested power. Now, follow me here for just a minute. That word means manifested power. And that word might at the very end of verse 10 can be translated an ability or force that is bestowed upon another. If you take those two translations and look at this verse, it can literally be translated. Be strong in the Lord. And in the manifested power or the ability or force that he has bestowed upon you. It's much more than just saying, oh, be strong in the Lord. The strength that you have is a manifested strength. The power that you have is a manifested power. It's not your power. It's not your strength. It's God's strength that he gave you based on the, on, on your identity in him. That's critical when you're going into a battle that you're able to trust that kind of strength, you don't have to face these temptations and these trials alone. When Satan comes at you, you can rely on the Lord's strength. My strength's impotent. Compared to some of the things that are in the life, some of the things we just said here, and we prayed for many things, many situations that are going on in your lives and in the lives of the people who are around you. Their strength alone is impotent when it comes to facing those things. But when you realize and you call upon the strength from the Lord, you're calling upon a manifested power and a bestowed strength that has the power to do something that you can't do. And it's important that you remember that. Realizing the need for God's strength in warfare contradicts a couple of 
misconceptions that the church has today. If you're listening to me, say amen. First misconception is that being a Christian is an easy life with little or no struggle at all. Does anybody want to believe that? I keep hearing of these churches that promote that, and I keep wondering what kind of life they're living. Uh, Because I've never met a Christian who doesn't continue to have trials and doesn't continue to struggle through various aspects of life. I believe that's a lie straight from the devil. And yet we're filling uh, so-called churches and houses of worship around this country and around this world with people who firmly believe that. They really believe that. John MacArthur said, a Christian who no longer has to struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil is a Christian who has either fallen into sin or into complacency. He's a Christian who has, a Christian who has no conflict is a Christian who has retreated from the front lines of service. When you make up your mind, brothers and sisters, that you're going to live for Christ, when you make up your mind that you're going to serve Him with all of your heart, when you make up your mind that you're going to be sold out for Him, just get ready. The gates of hell are going to come against you. Why is that? It's because the, Satan knows of God's power. Satan knows of God's strength. Satan knows the outcome. But until that time, he's going to bring it. How are you going to be ready when he brings it? Second misconception is this. That we can let go and let God. In other words, let God do the fighting for us. Now, I probably have said that before a long, long time ago. Just let go and let God. And I know what that means. I know the, 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 the whole premise behind that is just, you know what? God, is, God can take care of anything that's going on in my life. And if you listen to him, say amen. He absolutely can. And he absolutely will. He's absolutely sovereign. He's absolutely in control. We don't have to let go and let God. God's already. <laughs> He's already doing it. He's already in control because he is sovereign. And this sounds good and scripture confirms this, but the wording and the tone of verses 10 through 17 tends to make us to believe that God wants us to join him in this battle. This is not a battle that is God's battle alone. Listen, if you listen to him, say amen again. Listen, God uses trials in your life and spiritual warfare in your life to sanctify you, to grow you, to make you closer to him. To make you depend on Him. To make you cling to Him. It's not that you're supposed to cast everything off and just say, Oh, I'm going to let go and let God. God can use that to grow you. And make you depend on Him in miraculous ways. And He wants to do that. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Warfare is messy, it's ugly, it's painful, but it's also sanctifying and sharpening. And it'll make you closer and more dependent and more loving toward our holy God than even the best of times that you'll go through. And so, can you in those moments look to God and say, my strength comes from you. I trust entirely in you. And I'm going to join you in this battle. Listen. If we, want, if we were intended to let go and lock God, then why would Paul even preach on the whole armor of God? Why would we need armor if we weren't supposed to walk through it? Find your strength in God, number one. Number two. Number one is strength for the battle ahead. Number two is protection for the battle ahead. 
I'm not going to talk much about this one because this is what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks. Verse 11 tells us to put on the full armor of God through which his strength is given to us. Now, I know that every one of you, when you were born again, when you became a Christ follower, when you surrendered your life to him, every one of you received a spiritual suit of armor. Every one of you received the whole armor of God for which you are supposed to put on and walk through these battles with him. The purpose of this armor, as Paul tells us, and he mentions several times in these verses, is to enable you to stand firm in the midst of the battle. Remember, while Paul was writing this, he was in jail. I can vision this. Paul's in a Roman prison. He's chained to this Roman soldier. And they're sitting there. Well, I don't know what they do in a Roman jail cell. But evidently, Paul was able to write because we know he did a lot of writing while he was there. I can imagine while he's sitting here writing about the armor of God, he's looking at that soldier. He's got a helmet on, helmet of salvation. He's got a breastplate on, breastplate of righteousness. He's got boots on, feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. There's a shield sitting over there, shield of faith. Oh, he's got his sword, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Paul's observing what that soldier's wearing, and he's writing this to believers in Christ, to new believers in Christ. And that verb there in verse 11, it says, put on the full armor of God. That, that, the verb tense of that word indicates a one-time occurrence. In other words, once you put on, it's never intended to come off. Anytime I teach this or I think about this, I think about Baptist churches. Baptist churches do this. Uh, we, we have places in our churches, not so much here, but in a lot of churches, we have uh, coat hooks out here in our lobbies and out here where uh, we put our coats on. We've got one back here in this corner, but it's not very prevalent. But in a lot of churches, just right there by the door, just rows and rows of coat hooks. And I always say, what a lot of Christians do is they come here on Sunday morning and they put on their spiritual suit of armor. And it's shiny and it looks good. And everybody admires their spiritual suit of armor. And then when they leave on Sunday, they'll take that suit of armor off and they'll hang it on that hook at the door of the church. And then they'll go out into the world where they need it the worst. See where I'm going? They'll go out in the world where they need the spiritual suit of armor the worst without it. And the ill-equipped to, hit the, to face the trials and the temptations and the divisions and the strife that comes their way. One time, you get the spiritual suit of armor when you're born again, you put it on, and you do not take it off. If Satan's attacks are persistent, and they are, then we should persistently wear the spiritual suit of armor. Amen? It makes sense. If I know someone's going to shoot at me when I walk out this building, I'm going to take precautions. I'm going to do something for protection. So it is with spiritual trials. Paul wrote to the church at Rome. We got it recorded in Romans chapter 13. Do this. Knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to waken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than we have believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Not only are we supposed to put on the spiritual suit of armor, but it says here that we're supposed to put on the whole, the full suit of armor. I do this with the kids. I've done this in chapels I've done before. I think I've even done it with the youth. Uh, Chelsea would know. She's, I know she's done it several times with me. I'll tell them, we'll, we'll teach this in youth. And I'll have them put on an armor, suit of armor. 
and we'll wad up pieces of paper and we'll stand across the room. I said, now throw it at them. And all the kids love that now. I mean, they'll just line up and they'll just pepper, you know, people wearing that armor and they don't hit them anywhere. Why? Because they got every piece of the armor off. And then I'll tell that student who's wearing the suit armor, I said, take out that breastplate, that mid part right there. Take off that breastplate. And so they take off the breastplate. Well, where is every kid aiming for? The breastplate. Why? Because they're no longer have on the full suit of armor. Satan's the same way. If you try to live your life in, in many aspects and doing many things well, but you leave off one piece of the spiritual suit of armor, Satan's going to pepper it. Why? Because that's where you're vulnerable. That's why it's important for you to remain sanctified. That's why it's important for you to, to purposely and intentionally wear the whole armor of God at all times. So number one, strategy, uh, strength for the battle ahead. Number two, protection for the battle ahead. Number three, intelligence for the battle ahead. And if you listen to me, say amen. Failure to know your enemy or failure to have proper Intelligence about your enemy always leads to destruction. America saw this in the 1930s coming out of the Great Depression and some of the economic reforms. Things were going well and, and the country was recovering and everybody, there was a hopeful and a happy attitude and everything seemed to be going really well. Uh, all along, we were, we were uh, as America, we, as a country and as the world, we were ignoring this man, this dictator in Germany called Adolf Hitler until it was too late. Or almost too late. We ignored him. We thought it was somebody else's problem. We didn't pay attention to the, the, the danger that was there. America, more recently, has seen the same thing in the 1990s. We were doing well. The economy was good. Families were, were doing well. Everything was going great. We, we were all happy and confident and proud. And then, September 11, 2001 happened. Right? And we found out about an enemy that... Only a few people know about, but we didn't have a lot of intelligence about called Al-Qaeda. And we haven't recovered from that yet. And now we found out about an offshoot called ISIS. And we still see ourselves, because of our lack of intelligence and our lack of preparation, we still see ourselves fighting that battle, even today. Likewise, on the spiritual front, a lack of intelligence about our adversary, which is the devil puts us in a precarious, uh, precarious position. Look, what, look how much of these four verses that Paul writes about our adversary. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And the heavenly places means everywhere. I, 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 if I hadn't told you guys before, I hate Halloween. Can I just say that? I hate it. I have no use for it. I like fall, fall harvest and festivals and all that kind of stuff, but I just can't stand all this. We glamorize, Halloween glamorizes that which the Bible condemns. You know that, right? The, the, the spiritual forces of darkness and evil, Halloween glamorizes that. There is no time during the year where the veil between good and evil is as thin as Halloween. Because we take that which is evil and we puff it up and make it something good. We, we even make the devil with a little pitchfork and little horns. And make it seem sort of cute to do that. That contradicts what Scripture says about our adversary. Listen to what it says. Uh, it says he was once the chief angel until he rebelled against God. He first appeared in Genesis as a serpent and brought sin into the world. Thirty-five times our adversary is referred to as the devil, which means slanderer. Fifty-two times he's called Satan, which means adversary. 
John chapter 16, before the scripture that Josh preached on this morning, calls him the ruler of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 says he's the prince of the power of the air. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says he's a roaring lion. Revelation 12, 3 calls him a great red dragon. He is the great adversary and we need to know this about him. That informs us about our spiritual battle. As you learn about the six pieces of armor over the next six weeks, you need to remember why we need it. It's not some little podunk, rinky-dink adversary that we can squash easily. He is the devil. But one thing to remember about this, and this should give you hope, if you listen to me, say amen. He's our adversary, but he's not divine. Because he's not divine, like God... Because he's not everywhere, he has to resort to trickery. He has to resort to deceit in order to be able to work. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul revealed that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies. H.A. Ironside, who's probably one of my favorite Bible commentaries, said this about Satan. It would be a very simple thing if the adversary of our souls came to us and honestly said, Good morning. I'm the devil, and I want to get you into something that's going to cause you a lot of misery and wretchedness and will cause you to dishonor your Savior. Wouldn't it be nice if we saw it coming? Those temptations in your life, those things that cause you to pull away from God and trust another. Wouldn't it be great if we saw those things coming and we knew it? But because he is a deceiver and the father of lies, you need to know this about your adversary. He's going to come when you're least expecting it. And he's going to come with a veracity that's going to cause you to doubt the one who's given you the spiritual suit of armor. Intelligence is important. You must have intelligence for the battle ahead because Satan is a deceiver and he's a schemer. And I tell you this not to scare you. I tell you this because, by the way, teaching this to youth will help you to sort of kind of refine this. You learn, the more you learn about the devil, the more you ought to be scared. The fr- it's frightening. To know just how much he has an opportunity to influence and cause trouble. But knowing that will be critical to you. One of the reasons that our families and our churches are in such turmoil and strife is because as individuals, we have failed to realize the seriousness of our adversary. We've glamorized him like we do on Halloween. Instead, we need to fear him, not with a fear that comes without hope, with it, but with a fear that causes us to rely on our strength. Which, verse 10 says, be strong in the who? In the Lord. So, number one, strength for the battle ahead. Number two, which is verse 11, protection for the battle ahead. Number three, which is at the end of verse 11 and verse 12, intelligence for the battle ahead. And fourth and finally, strategy for the battle ahead. Strategy for the battle ahead. Notice in verse 13, there's that word that that is, is a great indicator of important things. Therefore, because I've told you these things, because I told you all about the foundation elements of your faith, because I told you the practical outworking of what that needs to look like, because I've now told you that there is one out there who is your adversary, who is going to try to bring you down and deceive you and keep you from being able to stand firm in your faith. Because of all that, let me tell you what your strategy is. And then he reminds them again to take up the full armor of God. We know anytime scripture repeats itself, we know why that's important, right? That it's important because it indicates the seriousness of the warfare. 
And he tells us not to put on just a portion of the armor, but again, he tells us to put on the full armor of God. And I look forward to seeing this. I look forward to the next six weeks being taught again what each one of those pieces of armor. Each one of those pieces of armor is strategic. Each one of those pieces of armor is intelligent. I don't want you to miss this. I think Ms. Jeannie asked the other day, if we're, or somebody asked the other day, if we're going to take this. If you have to miss a week, please get it and listen to it. Okay? Because having one or knowledge of one without the other is not going to be as beneficial to you. So put on the whole armor of God. You need to learn about the whole armor of God. And listen to me. It's ten after. I promise to finish. This is normally about an hour long sermon. I'm doing my best to condense it. If you listen to me, say amen. Our strategy is not to go out there and kick the devil's butt. Can I use that word from up here? I don't know if I can use it or not. I'll get in trouble with my kids. I don't let my kids use that word, so I'll get in trouble. Our strategy is not to get out there and kick the devil. That's not what we're told to do. Our strategy is twofold. He doesn't go out there and tell us to charge the gates of hell and slay him. By the way, that's already been done. John chapter 16, I have overcome the world. That's been done. The the outcome has been settled. So we don't have to go out there and do that. But two things we have to do is, number one, we have to resist in the evil day, verse 13, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and then in everything to stand firm. We're not told to advance. We're told to stand. We're not told to march toward him. We're told to stand. We're not told to defeat the devil. We're told to stand. The purpose of your spiritual suit of armor is not so you can go out there and defeat Satan. The purpose of your spiritual suit of armor is so that you can stand firm. So that you'll be able to resist in that day. Be assured that Satan's demonic angels, the powers and the principalities, the world forces of darkness, and the spiritual forces of weakness will come at you. You're charged to resist and you're charged to stand. That phrase, stand firm, if you look at the end, I don't know what your, what your, how your Bible words it, but I'm looking at the New American Standard. And at the end of verse 13, it says this. It says, so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And then at the very beginning of verse 14, it turns around and says, stand firm. Not only does it repeat itself, it repeats itself back to back. It's the idea. I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go too far. So I don't know who's going to have the uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So I don't want to get into this too much, but I got to share this. It's one of my favorite things. The boots that Roman soldiers wore. Y'all ever heard of this before? What, what the boots of a Roman soldier look like? They had uh, uh, spikes on the bottom of them that were about three inches long. Of, of the boots of a Roman soldier had spikes that were about three inches long. And so, if you had that on the bottom of your feet, now think about, number one, think about how hard that would be to walk. But why would it do that? To enable them to stand firm. To enable them to stand firm. The shields that a Roman soldier took had notches in the side of them. What were those notches for? Those notches were so that they could get together side by side, shoulder to shoulder, and they could lock those together and they could get down behind. By the way, it wasn't this round shield like Captain America wears. Okay, it was a big old huge shield that was about this big. And, and so they would get down, they would lock them together and they'd get down here and it would be impenetrable. Why? It wasn't so they could advance. It was so they could stand firm. That's what you are called to do in your life when trials come, when deception comes, when deceit hammers away at you. 
when Satan begins attacking you. You're charged to resist and to stand firm. First Peter chapter 5 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. Peter saying the same thing that Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? You recognize, you recognize that you need the entire suit of armor. You recognize how dangerous your foe is. You recognize that you're not called to defeat him. That's already been done. You're called to stand firm in light of the guaranteed struggles and trials that you're going to go through. And if you do, and if you stand firm, in the end, you'll be sanctified. You will grow closer to Him. You'll have a greater knowledge and a greater trust and a greater faith in Him than what you ever had before. And you'll be closer to Him and growing in your grace. If you don't know Him, if you are here today and you would say, I, I don't know that I'm a Christ follower, I don't know that I've made that decision, well, I would say that you're in an even more precarious position. Because in that case, you don't have anything but your own devices to stand firm against the evil one. I encourage you to take care of that and trust in Him today. Any questions? I'm sorry, it's 7.15. I know we went over a little bit tonight. This is why I'm not doing every night. But uh, thank you guys for letting me share. Pastor Josh, anything else? Let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Lord, I love you. Uh, Father, I thank you that... Uh, even though we have the promise of trials and tribulations and strife, even though we know that we're going to have spiritual warfare, we know that there are going to be doubts that assail us, we know that there's going to be fears that come against us, we know that we're going to have things that pull on us that try to pull us away from you, we know that the devil's going to try to trick us and deceive us and, and, and betray, cause us to try to betray you. Heavenly Father, we have been given a spiritual suit of armor by which we can stand firm and resist him moment by moment. Day by day. Father, I pray over the next few weeks that you'll prepare our hearts and our minds to receive exactly what this looks like. Father, I pray that we'll be diligent and we're in the whole armor of God so that we'll be able to stand firm. Lord, make us people that don't leave it at the back door. Make us people that realize the importance of wearing it and using it in this warfare against our adversary. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending Christ to die for us. Thank you that he has indeed overcome the world. The victory's already been won. We can rejoice in that and look forward to the day, Lord, where we will all bow before our risen Lord and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father, be with us this week. I pray that You would just uh, rule and reign in our lives. I pray that You would uh, be with every situation, circumstances, trial, um, sickness um, that comes upon us. Uh, Lord, I pray that You would uh, help us to, re to remember that our strength lies in You and to depend on You for all of our help. And pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.